0: It's good to good to be together tonight. Uh, I can't believe. Sorry, it's been like spring break feels a long way away, doesn't it? Yeah. This uh, ancient history. But here we go. We are in the final countdown, end of this school year. It's good to be together, and uh, we are continuing this series. If you've been with us, we've been working through a series on practical theology, and tonight. Uh, we're, we're going to be talking about a doubt, and um, I, I think David, if I understood you right, you wanted me to, to really encourage the group that I mean, there's a basketball game tonight, and yes, um, <laughs> and you know, if if we all just really believe, <laughs> you it's know, tiring. if we just believe, then <laughs> Princeton will win yeah. the Tigers. We just have enough faith. All right. (laughs) Forget all that. No, we're we're going to be talking about doubt, which is a a a serious subject, and and I do want to be sensitive at the outset to who might be uh, in the room tonight in terms of this question of doubt, Um, because I know there's some of you in the room who would probably say, "Well, I don't struggle with doubt. I, I have a an assured, settled, confident faith in Christ. Um, and if, if so, I I hope that this conversation tonight will, will be helpful to you to help equip you to be a better help to those who do struggle with doubt. And so maybe some of what we have to talk about tonight will be helpful to you in that way. Because as Christians, as brothers and sisters, we do, and I hope we all... Own this and embrace this. We have a significant role that we're called to—to to encourage and strengthen one another in our in our faith. But for those of you here tonight who have or do at present struggle with doubt, I just want to say at the outset, I want to assure you at the outset that you are not alone. Um, there, there are. I, I mean, I know there there are. A number of people in this room tonight who struggle with doubt. I myself am not a stranger to doubt and uh, have uh, experienced that at various points in varying degrees of intensity in my own Christian uh, walk and journey with Christ. And um, so, yeah, yeah, just you're you're not alone. um, And I, I like this analogy. Someone compared doubt to having an unwanted house guest, Uh, and and that resonates with me, right? Uh, You know, somebody who's kind of in your space, making a mess, keeping you from rest, keeping you maybe from being productive, and you don't know when or if they're ever going to leave, right? I mean, that's that's doubt. It's just uh, an unwanted house guest. It's not pleasant. Uh, it's, it's not fun, it's not easy, and, and I get that. And so I don't, I don't presume, uh, this is a big topic. It's, there's a lot of complexity, a lot of layers. I don't presume that what I have to say is necessarily going to help you if you're in the midst of uh, doubting your faith. But I do hope that, that, that it's helpful. Now, perhaps the most famous doubter, if we, if we did a poll. Uh, I would guess the name would be on the list anyway. The famous doubter in the Bible is Thomas, the Apostle Thomas, and John talks about how Thomas says, well, unless I, unless I see the, the wound in his side and the nail nail marks in his hands, I, I'm not gonna believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. And that's the, the term doubting. Thomas, of course, comes from him. And Jesus very graciously uh, it gives Thomas that very confirmation that he seeks, uh, that that he comes to that place of saying, "My Lord and my God." Uh, but tonight we're we're going to look at another uh, of Jesus' uh, disciples who experienced doubt, and that's uh, John the Baptist. Uh, and I, I found this this account uh, to be very thought provoking for me. and and very encouraging. And uh, the text that we're gonna look at comes out of Matthew chapter 11. Uh, I'm just gonna put verses two through six up there on the the screen. Now, when uh, John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison, so he's in prison when he he hears, hears this. When he heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is God's word. So John's doubts about Jesus uh, strike me as um, remarkable. And and you may say, well, why? Uh, Well, because if you know anything about John the Baptist from uh, what we read of him in the New Testament, he's a pretty extraordinary character. Uh, He's a prophet of God. I mean, he's the real deal prophet of God. He he was appointed uh, by God before his birth to be a forerunner of the Christ. Um, he's he's you know, out there preaching uh,
1: a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and Jesus comes out to be
0: baptized by him, and he is an eyewitness, he's, he's, he's a, a, a fearful eyewitness to, to God's affirmation uh, in word and, and by the sign of the dove descending upon Jesus, that this person he's baptizing is, is God's beloved son, he sees all that, he's there when it happens. He, he clearly, uh, John records how, John the, the Gospel writer records how John the Baptist clearly perceived and declared uh, Jesus to be who? The Lamb of God, the one God has provided to take away the sin of the world. He's, he's courageous, he's a fearless preacher. And uh, in fact, it's his fearlessness in preaching that is the reason that he's in prison in the first place. He uh, rebuked Herod Antipas is is the tetrarch uh, Mm -hmm. at at this point, and uh, Herod takes for his wife his half-brothers, yeah, that's right, his half-brothers, he takes Philip, his half-brother's wife, Herodias, for himself, and uh, you know John has the audacity to call him out for this and to rebuke him for this. And so he's both uh, rebuking him uh, on, on moral grounds, but the, the historian Josephus also points out that this, this is somewhat threatening to Herod in terms of the political situation. And so, um, yeah, he gets thrown into jail. He seems to be a, an extraordinary a person of faith and an unwavering strength uh, in, in his belief, and yet, right, he, when he finds himself languishing in prison, and this this drawing actually is part of the Princeton University Art Museum collection. Uh, it's, uh, the painter is somewhat uncertain, but uh, this is a John the Baptist, here he is uh, in prison, and he can barely make out a face at the uh, at the great there, which uh, is identified yeah. as Salome, which is uh, uh, Herod's uh, Herodias's daughter, who's come. You know, she's the one who requests uh, ultimately John's head um, on a platter. So he finds himself languishing in prison, and it's a, in that he you know he begins to wonder. All that, all that history we just began, he begins to wonder if he's been mistaken about Jesus after all. And so he sends Jesus this question. It's like he's saying, are you really the one to come? Or shall we look for another? And you know, I don't know how you react to that. Some might react to that and say, well, wow, if, if someone like John, had doubts about Jesus, then what hope is there for the rest of us? Uh, I I don't react that way. I I think there's great, there's tremendous hope for us in this. Um, And one reason I think there's tremendous hope is is that so many of us are prone when we have doubts. We, We jump to two unnecessary reactions. Uh, the first unnecessary reaction we might have when we doubt is something along the lines of, well, what's wrong with me? Uh, and, and what this text is reminding us and pointing us to is that doubt is, is a common, if not universal, experience of people of faith. When our faith is challenged, and, and it will be, I, I can assure you of that, when our faith is challenged, in various ways, it's very natural to re-examine. What, what do I believe? Why do I believe it? And that process of examination and, and responding to the challenge uh, can can sometimes tip us into, into doubts about our faith. So if you struggle with doubt, you are not alone. And uh, you are not defective in some way. You know, you may look at your peers and think, oh, I'm the only one who struggles with these questions. What's wrong with me? No, you, you are a thoughtful person of faith whose confidence in what you believe is being challenged and shaken somehow. And many believers will, will experience that shaking. And, you know, in John's case, his confidence in Jesus, I, I think we can discern at least two ways that, that his confidence is being challenged, and we'll we'll talk some more about this in a few minutes, but one, obviously his circumstances have taken a really (laughs) negative turn. He's he's been arrested and thrown into prison, so this is not exactly a triumphant uh, moment for him. But secondly, and even more deeply, Jesus is not fulfilling John's expectations. He's He's not sort of doing what John uh, expects him to do. And and so, you know, he's, he's he's being challenged in his faith. And and this just leads me to say that even if a great exemplar of faith, like John the Baptist, sometimes wavered, well, that helps me, that and I'm sometimes plagued with doubts, right? And I hope that, that helps you, because sometimes when, if, if you experience, if doubts sort of, you know, come into your, your head and your heart like this sort of roiling black cloud, you, you might be tempted to sort of panic, but this story is, is profoundly encouraging to me in that regard, because John had, had doubts, And then the second unnecessary reaction is, well, why can't I, or why don't I just believe? And, and part of the problem here is that I think it's very easy and common that we confuse doubt with unbelief. Doubt is not unbelief. Uh, Unbelief we could define as a determined rejection, a determined refusal to believe. And so uh, a term like hardening of a heart would would be apt here. Doubt, on the other hand, is a kind of internal discord. uh, and, and when James uses the, the, the word doubt, in, in James chapter one, we will turn there, that's, that's the sense of the word he, uh, uh, when, when he talks about doubt, he likens the one who doubts, he says, to someone who's double-minded, uh, or someone who's tossed back and forth by, by ways. So doubt is, is a wavering, uh, it's uh, possibly a good view, as a being pulled between an assured convinced, settled faith on the one side and on the other side uh, toward an unbelief. So in that sense, I I think this expression is helpful. doubt. Doubt is is what we might call contested ground. It's a contested ground between faith and unbelief. So it's not welcome. It's not uh, desirable. It's not something that I I look forward to, but it is not the same as unbelief. And it's important, I I, I think, and helpful to distinguish those. John's story is also very helpful to me when we think about what he does with his doubts. The the first thing I want to highlight here is what does John do with his doubts? Well, first thing we might say is he brings his doubts to Jesus. He's isolated, he's he's, uh, alone, he's suffering in prison. He's not able to engage in in the work that uh, he's felt that God called him to. He's plagued with these sort of nagging questions about Jesus and and he doesn't just wallow in sort of unproductive mental anguish. Uh, He takes active steps to address his questions He goes to the source, in this case, and asks Jesus directly. And sometimes, I think, when we struggle with doubt, uh, we may spend more time listening to unbelievers and critics and detractors and skeptics uh, than we do bringing our doubts to God and bringing them to his people and to his word. So I think that's very important for us to see. He brings his doubts to Jesus. But secondly, we could also say, what does he do with his doubts? I, I, I don't think this is reading in to say that John doubts his doubts. And this is something that's hugely important. He does not move from, oh, I'm having doubts to assuming that, therefore, my beliefs must be false. And I think sometimes that's how we react. It's like, oh, I have a doubt. Oh, everything I believe is wrong. Uh, No, that, yes, John has questions, but he does not assume there are no answers to those questions. And I think this is very important for, for us who struggle with doubt, that rather than accepting our doubts, we, we learn to wrestle with them and even to challenge them. Why is this idea more credible than faith in God? And so we seek to, to when, when we are in that contested ground, we, we want to, rather than just kind of cave in or yield, uh, we want to wrestle with and move toward a deeper understanding of Philip Riken, who's, he's currently the uh, president, he was pastor of Ten 10th Presbyterian Church out in Philadelphia for a number of years, and now he's a president of Wheaton College out in uh, uh, Illinois. He, he comments on this idea of wrestling with our doubts, and, and he just says we need to ask questions of ourselves like this, have I studied what God actually has to say about this question that's plaguing me? Or have I been listening mainly to the detractors? Or am I aware of how this particular doubt or question has been addressed in the history of Christian theology? Or has my thinking been relatively superficial? Often we, we react in, in a very kind of knee-jerk way to things and, and might innocently be completely clueless that this is not a new question. This is not a new problem. God's people have uh, wrestled with this in profound and enlightening ways over centuries. So we need to learn to doubt our doubts. The story is also helpful when we think about how does Jesus respond to John? Uh, in the first place, notice what Jesus does not do. He, he does not uh, rebuke John. And, and I think, Jesus does sometimes rebuke unbelief, but he knows that John is not asking this in a spirit of rejection, but of honest questioning. And so he doesn't rebuke him, and neither does he say, oh, John, come on, just believe. How does Jesus respond? I think this is is very powerful. He, He directs John to what? Well, he directs him to evidence. He he directs him to good and strong reasons why John should not doubt that he is the one who is to come. And 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 Jesus sends people to him. And what does Jesus say? He says, Go and tell him what you see and hear. I love that. He sends him witnesses and he points him to evidences. Faith is not irrational. Faith is not believing something you know is not true. Faith is reasonable. It is warranted. And and that's not to say that faith means or equals absolute certainty. We we need to to recognize and grapple with the fact that it's not really possible in any realm to have absolute certainty. And and sometimes I think people people get hung up thinking that that maybe well the only things that are really certain are things that can be proven scientifically. That's wacky. But but I would I would also say that. Well, I don't think science is the enemy of faith, but, but I would say that, that our faith is based uh, more on the kinds of proof, if you want to use that word, that we would associate with the courtroom than with the laboratory, right? Our faith is based on witness, on testimony, on evidence. And I, I believe with all my heart that the, the, the witnesses that God has left us with are reliable, And that the evidences that God has left us are sufficient, sufficiently clear and and sufficient that we can believe with, with confidence that these things are true. Jesus points John to good, strong reasons to believe. He does not call him to blind faith. And you know, one aspect of this is that Jesus points John to, to promises in His Word to strengthen him in his faith. One of the reasons that, that John is uncertain about Jesus seems to have been that Jesus was not fulfilling his expectations. And and uh, I think there's a there's an existential aspect of that. He's I'm in prison. I've been serving you, Jesus. I've been Uh, doing uh, this for you, and now I'm in jail. This isn't going well. Are you really worthy of my trust? But there's also the conceptual level in that John expected the Messiah, and if Jesus is the Messiah, he expected him to inaugurate this renewal of God's kingdom, and uh, he wasn't sure that Jesus was behaving the way the Messiah was supposed to behave and doing what the Messiah was supposed to do, and so he's beginning to wonder and to that Jesus responds to John by pointing him to the word of God and and to how both his preaching and his miracles in those things he was in fact yes John go back to Isaiah you know the text go back and look at it I am fulfilling the, the very things that the Old Testament foretold that the Messiah would do go to the text in other words, Jesus wants to, to shape and, and even challenge John's understanding of his mission, and he does so by pointing him to the scripture. And he does this because John needs his understanding of, of who, who Jesus is, who the Christ is, and what, why he came, what, what his, his mission is. He, John needs his own understanding to be deepened and even corrected. And that's very important for us as well is we need to be prepared to, uh, sometimes when we're doubting, to listen to what God says, not just my own opinion about things, but what, what does God say, and am I willing, am I prepared to have God correct my thinking and my understanding? So I find this, this whole account to be just tremendously hopeful and helpful as Jesus helps John deal with his doubts. Now, I know we don't have much time left, and um, I'm gonna watch the clock, so we may not talk about everything I have in my notes. <laughs> um, but I do wanna touch, maybe just quickly, on a couple of kinds of doubt. Uh, because doubt is a, is a little bit like illness, right? Um, there there, there could be people in the room, <laughs> that's fine, I don't a of calls to your minds. <laughs> there are people out there who might be sick in a variety of ways, right? And, um, Illnesses are all different. They're, they're different. <laughs> they're different in their symptoms and their severity. And, and we, we, we understand that we would treat this illness differently from that. one. And, and I think this is true also for doubt. Not all doubts arise for the same reasons. They don't all have the same quality. And, and so we might want to respond to them in different ways. One of the, the more common doubts that I have experienced which is one reason why I wanted to comment on this, is believers who doubt their own salvation. Uh, Am I really a Christian? Am I really saved? And let me just suggest quickly that that often arises, I think, because we are trusting in the wrong things for our salvation. Uh, So we might, for example, be trusting in, in my decision, the decision I made back in fourth grade uh, or something like that. And and I've I've talked to to Christians who have said, well, I just, you know, I prayed that prayer, you know, we were called to come forward and pray this prayer, and I did it, but I wasn't sure I did it right, and so then I did it again, and I did it again, and there's this kind of feeling, oh, what if I didn't do it right? And I would just say to that, I I think you're focusing on the wrong. Uh, shift your focus away from not, did, did I pray this prayer right or did I believe when I was in fourth grade to do I believe that's what matters, do I believe do I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved uh, so that that's uh, we don't want to trust in, in our decision, we want to put our, our trust in Christ and that needs to be present And but then you know We might struggle with doubts because we're trusting in our faith. And I think this is common, and and it's like, I don't know if I have enough faith. And what helps me with that is a couple of things. Number one, faith is not an emotion, it's not a feeling. Uh, it's, It's more helpful, I think, to think of faith as a commitment. Well, we don't put our faith in our faith. And what matters is not how strong your faith is. You may have a very strong faith uh, in a really bad thing. Um, or you may have a very weak faith in something or someone who is utterly trustworthy. I think about getting on an airplane. I mean, why do you get onto an airplane? It, it, isn't it because at some level, you have confidence in the people who designed that plane and who went to Princeton and studied aerodynamics and all that stuff, and the people who built the plane, and, and I mean, just the engineers, that's we trust, and the people who maintain the plane, and the fact that, well, other people are getting on, and then other people fly. Uh, and, you know, in a way, it doesn't really matter whether you have great faith or little faith in that plane, if you act upon what you believe, right? I mean, you can, you can be a confident flyer who sits back, enjoys the flight, and uh, when the turbulence hits, you're like, woo, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> or you can be a very nervous flyer who's anxious the whole way. Uh, but you know what really, bad? the proof of your faith is you got on the plane, fastened your seatbelt, you went for the ride, And and when it comes to God, it's not about faith in my own faith. It's about, is God worthy of my trust? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. The other reason we doubt our salvation, and I'll stop with this, is is we trust in our own goodness. Am I good enough? Is my goodness sufficient? And, And to that, we need to go back to the gospel. I mean, if if you're relying on your own goodness to commend you to God for your salvation, um, then you're in trouble. I, I will tell you that. You shouldn't be doubting your salvation if you are relying on your own goodness. I'd say you should be in despair of your salvation if you're relying on your own goodness. Because God says there is no one good. Not even one. Um, we, we, we need to learn the gospel. The gospel is not about me being good enough to, to, to earn a, a, you know, a place in, in heaven. And we need to remind ourselves because I think many of us as Christians who do understand the gospel, we revert to a way of thinking that it's just about me being good enough. And we need to be reminded, no, I, you are saved by grace by God's unmerited favor, by his sheer mercy, it is not your own work. It is the act of God. We need to preach that to ourselves every day. But then some of you might be doubting your salvation as well because you know right now that you do know the gospel. You do know what God has called you to as a believer. And you also know that you're not obeying God. And you know, it's uncanny and not surprising that that creates an internal discord in your heart. Right, well maybe maybe I'm not really a believer. And I, I think there again, you're going back to what we said before about learning to doubt your doubts. If, if you're doubting your salvation because you know you're not obeying God, You're you're not living faithfully for him. Let that doubt be God's goad in your soul to lead you to a change of heart, to repentance, to an acknowledgement of your sin, and the turning again to humble faith in Christ and trust in his mercy and desire to live for him. So I... Those are just that. Just with regard to doubting our salvation, there are, there are other ways I know that we doubt. We doubt God's character. We question His love. We question His, his trustworthiness. His justice. Uh, we we doubt His truth. You may be finding in the classroom that you're being challenged in ways that you don't have answers to, uh, or in conversations with your friends, and. I just want to say to these kinds of questions that there are good answers. There are good answers. There are tremendous resources. Uh, people of faith and of a good uh, biblical knowledge and of good sense have wrestled with these. So I urge you, if you're here tonight and you're struggling with doubt because of intellectual or philosophical questions, if, you, if you're wondering tonight about the goodness of God um, or the, the justice of God, bring those questions to, to people who can direct you to, to avenues of answer and, and support and help. Because doubting our faith is not a good place to be. It's not pleasant, but it is common. And, and it may be the necessary passage for each one of us, that we need to go through so that we grow deeper and stronger in our understanding of God and the gospel. Learn to doubt your doubts because they're often based on false promises. Bring them to God. Bring them to others. God is faithful. God is worthy of our trust. God does love you with an everlasting love. And and I can say that with with the deepest conviction because God has proven his love. He has demonstrated his love in, in the profoundest of ways in sending his beloved son to suffer, to die upon the cross for our sakes. And Paul says God has demonstrated his love for us in this while we were yet rebels against him. Christ died for you, and and he has, has demonstrated that that was not a failed mission. I mean, Christ went to war for you at the cost of his own life, and he triumphed on the cross over all the forces, over sin, over death, over all the forces of evil that are arrayed against us. Christ triumphed over them at the cross And the proof of that, the evidence of that, that that we can rely upon is that God raised him from the dead. Death could not hold him. He is a living Savior. And he is utterly worthy of our trust. Thank you, Father, uh, for this word. We pray that you will use it according to each of our needs. God is into you for understanding of you, love for Service of you as you are working in each of our lives for our good and for your glory. We pray Christ. Amen.